We are up to mitzvah number 129, and this is very similar to the previous mitzvah. The previous mitzvah was the uncertain guilt offering, which is a special type of sacrifice when a person's not sure if they violated a transgression. Mitzvah number 129 is a definite guilt offering. This is when someone is certain that they violated a certain commandment, and there are five distinct situations that a person would qualify for these types of sacrifices. Number one, uh, this is mitzvah number 127, we discussed this already, and that is the misappropriation of temple property. If someone misuses, misallocates temple property or sacrificial property, then they have to pay a penalty, the penalty of uh, adding a fifth, and they also have to bring a sacrifice. We talked about that in mitzvah number 127. Now we're up to mitzvah 129, which is the actual sacrifice. So that's number one. Number two, denying a monetary obligation under oath. If a person has someone else's money, either they stole it in one of the variety of ways that that can happen, or it was deposited by them, and then the owner, the actual owner of that property comes and claims it, and the person who actually is housing that money denies it, and then swears an oath that they don't have the other person's property. In that case, when they would admit that they actually own the property or they're, ho- they're holding the property, they're housing the property, then they would pay back the money and pay a penalty, but also bring the sacrifice. Okay, so that's number two. Number three, the cohabitation with a designated maidservant. This is a very unique, exotic case where there is a maidservant and she's owned by, by, by two partners and one of them releases them. So she has a very unusual status where she's half Jewish and half not Jewish, at least according to most of the opinions in the Talmud. And then she gets betrothed. And if someone cohabits with this betrothed designated maidservant, they would incur this sacrifice. And the final two are not sins per se, but they're situations that incur this particular sacrifice, namely the Nazir that comes into contact with the dead in violation of the laws of a Nazir. Or a Metzora, someone who has Tzoras, and when he gets purified from his affliction of Tzoras, they also bring this sacrifice. So most of these cases are quite exotic. It's a list of five seemingly unconnected situations and sins that the Torah independently assigns an obligation to bring a certain guilt offering. Again, we had the previous mitzvah, which is where there was a doubt, there was uncertainty if a person, in fact, violated a commandment. But here we have a definite situation and a sacrifice that applies in these situations. Now, the Sefer Chinuch, he gives us a lot of background about these mitzvos. First thing he tells us that the animal sacrifice that is brought is a ram, and it has to be worth two slime, which is a certain denomination. And another unique factor or feature of these sacrifices is that unlike most sin offerings, typically when someone has a sin offering, It's only brought when the sin was done accidentally. But here, some of these cases, when we're talking about the definite guilt offering, it can be brought regardless if the sin was accidental or willful. 
So again, for context, most sin offerings are only for accidental sins, but here some willful sins incur a definite guilt offering. So he goes through these mitzvos one by one. If someone harbors someone else's money, they stole it, or it was deposited by them, or even if there was a loan, someone borrowed money, or there was a partnership that was dissolved. Regardless, if a person is holding someone else's money and the person comes to claim it, and the person who has the money denies that the money of the other person is in their possession, and then under certain contexts, the person can mandate that the other guy swears in a court of law, and they take an oath that they don't have the other person's money. So they denied that they have the other person's money. They swore falsely. When they repent and they return the money, they have to bring a sacrifice as well. This is the guilt offering for theft. So that's number one. Number two, the guilt offering for misappropriation of temple property. This is again mitzvah number 127. Only when done accidentally, when a person accidentally encroaches upon temple property or sacrificial property, they must bring a sacrifice on top of adding a fifth of a penalty. There's the Nazir guilt offering when a Nazir becomes impure, whether it was unwillfully or accidentally. The Mitzorah, who becomes pure. And finally, someone who cohabits with a designated maid servant. Now, the Sefer Chinuch, when he talks about the reason for this mitzvah, he only focuses on the first one of these, namely, when someone is holding someone else's money. If a person is harboring someone else's money, and they pay it back. So they may say, well, now, you know, I had someone else's money, and yes, I denied it, and yes, I swore falsely, but I paid it back. So maybe the fact that I, you know, did the restitution, that would absolve me from any culpability, because after all, I paid back what I owed. And there's a risk that a person may steal with abandon or harbor other people's money and deny it with abandon because after all, once I pay back, well, it's been resolved. And it's, it's like I never did anything wrong. And this would open the door for sinners. We think that theft is a crime against a person. In truth, says the Sefer HaChinuch, it is a crime against God as well. And therefore, you pay back the person whose money you took, that's great. You still have a penalty that you have to pay, so to speak, towards God. Many mitzvos are interpersonal. Many mitzvos are between man and God. And some are both. And this one is an example of both. When you steal something, when you are taking someone else's property, in effect, you're saying, God didn't give me what I need. You're making a claim against God. Of course, this is a tacit claim. But you're, in effect, demonstrating that the other person's stuff 
really, you should have it. So you're saying, well, God did not give me what I need. He gave this to someone else, but really, I need it. So there's a crime against God as well. And therefore, when a person steals or harbors someone else's money, and they're told to give it back, and they don't give it back, and they even swear falsely, they must bring a sacrifice as well. Now, he doesn't mention the other instances where a person would be obligated to bring a sacrifice, this type of sacrifice, mitzvah number 129, certain guilt, definite guilt offerings. But perhaps we can say that when someone misappropriates temple property, a person may think, well, there's no victim. It's owned by the public. It's owned by God. It's part of the temple coffers. And people may have a reason to be a little bit more lax when it comes to that sort of misappropriation. And maybe uh, for that reason, there is the sacrifice as well in this particular case. Uh, there is an essay from Rav Hirsch where he talks about carelessness, that these particular instances are areas where a person can make a mistake because they're commingling funds it's the temple's funds, but I'm just mixing up with my mundane funds or it's my friend's funds. And it's important to keep separations, to know what you own and what you don't own and to not allow those two to mix. Now, a lot of these mitzvahs, of course, are not really applicable to us. But I think the one that the Sefer Chinuch talks about, the imperative and the importance of not extending your hand to someone else's property, that is very, very relevant to us. My mother, she should live and be well. She always says, I'm allergic to having someone else's stuff. Like if you own something, if you have something in your house, something you borrow, something that's not yours, it should rankle you. It should itch you. I'm allergic to it. She's always making sure that we don't want to have a single thing in our house that's not ours. And that's that's a proper attitude. That's the Torah's attitude. If there's something that's not yours, made sure that it is placed by the person who actually owns it. And this is one of the marks of of the great people in our history. The Talmud tells us a fascinating line about Jacob. When Jacob had his nocturnal struggle with the angel of Esau, he was alone on the other side of the river. Why was he alone, says the Talmud? Because he went back to the other side because he left some small judge there. When they're transporting all their possessions, he left some small judges on the other side of the river and he went to go pick them up. And he endangered himself by going alone at night on the other side of the river away from the camp. Why did he do it? says the Talmud, because the righteous, they cherish their money more than their body. They cherish their money more than their body. We always think of the righteous. They don't cherish the money. Ah, it's just money. doesn't matter. Talmud says not like that. They cherish their money more than their body. And therefore, his money, he was willing to risk, so to speak, the well-being of his body, to preserve his money. Why? Why is the money of the righteous so 
important in their eyes because they don't steal. Now, the fact that they don't steal, it doesn't immediately connect the dots for us. They don't steal, and therefore they value their money. You would think maybe if they don't steal, maybe they don't value their money. But this is said about Jacob. It's also said with regards to Moshe's mother, Yocheved. The verse tells us that she made a little wicker basket to put Moshe on, to make him float on the river. And the Thomas says, wait a minute, why does she use wicker? Maybe something a little sturdier would be appropriate. Says the Talmud, same thing. The righteous, their money is so valuable to them. They cherish it so much, more than their body. Why? Because they don't steal. Now, what we see for sure is that one of the hallmarks, one of the signature qualities of the greats is to be very careful with other people's money. In fact, the Midrash tells us that if a person has a lot of different sins, the first one that they are prosecuted for by the heavenly tribunal is theft. Going back all the way to the story of Noah, the Torah tells us that God saw the robbery and the theft that was rampant in the times of Noah, and that's why he judged them. And that's why he said, I'm done with this generation. Even though they did all sorts of egregious sins, their punishment was sent into effect, specifically due to theft. On Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, at the very end of Yom Kippur, by the Ne'ilah service, at the zenith, at the peak of Yom Kippur, we pray to be forgiven from petty theft. So, not taking someone else's money is a very serious thing. And I will note that according to Torah, theft of 10 cents and theft of 10,000 or $10 million is the same sin. Because ultimately, it's taking someone else's stuff. It's not yours. Abraham... We're told, Rashi tells us, that his animals were distinct. They were always muzzled. Eliezer, Abraham's servant, when he took the animals, they were muzzled. Moshe, he only grazed when he was a shepherd in property that was not belonging to another person. Abraham separated from Lot because Lot's shepherds were less scrupulous in matters of theft. In a Jewish school, the first section of Talmud that students are taught is the second chapter in the book of Bamatsiya, which talks about what happens when you find someone else's thing. Under what parameters are you allowed to keep it? Under what parameters must you announce it? Under what parameters must you just guard it and preserve it? And Rabbi Israel Salander used to say that the reason why we have this custom from time immemorial to start a student's study of Talmud with this is to teach us that 
when you find something, you have to know who owns it. And you can't just take money that doesn't belong to you. And the greats always took measures to avoid encountering, touching, harboring someone else's stuff. To take preventative steps to not, God forbid, steal. The aforementioned Rabbi Israel Salanta used to say, there is a prohibition for a man to be secluded with a woman that's not his wife. And of course, there are many details to that law. But there's a prohibition of yichud, of seclusion, with a woman that's not your wife. Says Rabbi Israel Salanter, there's also a prohibition of seclusion with someone else's money. If there's a pile of someone else's money that's not counted, don't be in the same room with it. When the great Rabbi Rucham Levavitz would quote this, he would say the following addendum. I don't want to be secluded in a room, not only with someone else's uncounted money, but even with someone else's counted money. We see a principle that our greats, the great exemplars of our history, took very strong measures to not touch someone else's stuff. Now, the fact that they didn't touch someone else's stuff, what is that rooted in? That's rooted in faith. That was given by God to them and not to me. The extension of that is that what was given to me is given to me for a purpose. And therefore the righteous, they value their money because they know that it was given to them by God. And how do you know that? Because they don't steal. Valuing your, valuing your own property is the other side of the coin of not touching someone else's property. When you realize that the Almighty dispenses to each person exactly what they need, not more, not less, you will A, not touch someone else's stuff, and B, you will value your stuff. It doesn't mean to be miserly, quite the contrary. One of the reasons why God gives you is to give it to others. But to not value it, that is not the mark of the righteous. So we don't steal, and we value our own possessions. Now it's a big question, why is it more valuable than your body? Because it doesn't say more valuable than your life. It says more valuable than your body. So that's a question. The, the, the fact that the Talmud tells us that they value their money a lot makes a lot of sense to us. But the fact that the Talmud says they value it even more than their body doesn't really make sense to us. So there are a variety of explanations, either because the body is likelier to be used for sin than money. Alternatively, the Talmud tells us that kindness is greater than charity. Kindness is greater than charity. Why? Because charity is with your money. And kindness could be with your money or with your body. Charity is for poor people. Kindness is for poor people and rich people. Kindness is for the living and the dead, whereas charity is only for the living. 
So if you had to value what's greater, kindness or charity, kindness is more valuable. You do more mitzvos with kindness than with charity. But what if the question was not kindness versus charity, rather it was money or body? Well, if charity is only with money and kindness is with money and with your body, well, then with money you could do two mitzvahs. You could do charity and you could do kindness. But with your body, you cannot do charity. And therefore, maybe, 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 and this is a little complicated, but maybe this is why the righteous value their money more than their body. But the larger principle is, I think, a very powerful lesson for us. And that is that we don't steal at all. And the converse of that is that you recognize that everything or the, 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 the theory behind that is that you recognize that everything that you have is from the Almighty and it's there for a purpose. And therefore, we should take an inventory of all the things that we own, that we have, that do not belong to us and do whatever we can to return them. And God forbid if we owe someone money to find them, if they're not around, find their heirs. If we don't know who it is, if someone, let's say, I don't know, swipe someone's car, you open the car door, and you scratch the car door next to you. Or you once touched something and you don't, you don't know who it belonged to. That's a big problem. And the actual way that that's resolved is by paying for a public cause. Someone, pay, someone pays for a public cause that potentially the person who they owe money to could benefit from, that's the way that that is resolved. But this is Mitzvah number 129, certain guilt offerings, the five instances where this particular type of sacrifice would be appropriate, would be incurred. And for us, I think the one that we need to focus on is to make sure that we don't have in our possession someone else's things or money. If we stole it, God forbid, let's return it. If they deposit it by us, let's make sure that we return it to its owner. If there is a partnership, or alone, made sure that it is paid back. Mitzvah number 129, certain guilt offerings.